0: And welcome to episode 26 of Nerd of Paradise. I'm your host, Kate. And on this episode, we're going to be talking all about the band ELO. But I'm not alone this episode. I have a co-host. So joining us is Dan Brooks. How's it going, Dan?
1: It's going great. How are you?
0: I'm doing good. So you are a huge ELO fan, right?
1: I am. (laughs) I am guilty as charged.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, I don't remember exactly how the idea for this episode came about. I don't know if I was, like, taking suggestions.
1: You might have – I don't know. I was probably talking about it on Twitter, as I do, (laughs) to, I think, everyone who who follows me to their annoyance. Um, Because uh, it's something I've done uh, for years. And I think maybe you didn't know them or you knew them a little bit. And one of us threw the idea out there of let's do a podcast about it and – uh for me that nothing sounds better than talking about ELO on a podcast. So awesome. I was I was down from uh from the beginning.
0: Very cool. So yeah, we we've been talking about it for a while now and so finally you were just like, we're gonna do it.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's good timing too. There's a lot going on with with the uh, ELO right now.
0: Perfect. All right. So let's start from the top. So ELO uh I have the Wikipedia page open, so I know what it stands for. <laughs> but do you want to mm-hmm. do you want to tell our audience what ELO stands for?
1: Sure, it stands for Electric Light Orchestra. Very cool. And uh, just so you know, I am I have no Wikipedia page open. <laughs> I am I am flying. I am fl- flying without a net I'm, or I'm whatever cheating. the expression is. <laughs> so we'll see how this goes. Very
0: cool. So when were they the most popular would you say uh,
1: definitely the 70s um you know their their story is an interesting one because um elo formed kind of out of the ashes of a british band uh from the 60s called the move Hmm. and uh i can go into kind of the whole backstory if you want and like lead into their yeah
0: let's do it
1: their rise so yeah so the move was a was a band from birmingham england and it was founded by a guy named Roy Wood. And I've heard them, I think it was in all, on allmusic.com by Stephen Thomas. Uh, Irwin, or Earl Wine, who is a uh, great writer, uh, described them as the best Brit- British band to never make a dent in the U.S. charts. And uh, they, they were right on par with bands like the kinks and the who in terms of respect in England and hits in England, but they just never had hits in the U S and so I would recommend check them out if you're into sixties British invasion rock. Um, but anyway, they were popular. And, uh, at one point, uh, Je- uh Jeff Lynn joined the move. And Jeff Lynne had come from a band called the Idle Race, which was also a Birmingham band. Uh, but and but they had no, really like no chart success anywhere. So he was looking to get out of that band and move on to something new. And Roy Wood said, you know, come join the band. And Jeff Lynne could write songs. Uh, he had produced one of the two Idle Race albums, and he could sing. Roy Wood wrote all the songs for the move, but he wasn't the lead singer. Um the lead singer left, so I think that was why Jeff Lynn came. They kind of needed to fill that spot. But Roy Wood had a great voice anyway. Um, he would kind of like sing some lines and songs. I think he just didn't want to be the front man. But anyway, so Jeff Lynn joined, and uh, he made a co- And so this new iteration of the move made a couple of albums. Um, uh, but at a certain point, Roy Wood and Jeff Lynn had an idea of wouldn't it be great to bring strings into a rock band? That had never really been done before. So, as Roy Wood tells the story, he was kind of playing Jimi Hendrix riffs on a cello one day, and he just thought it sounded great, wow. and that was kind of where the idea came from. And uh, Jeff Lynne was a huge Beatles fan, heavily influenced by songs like "Strawberry Fields" and "I'm the Walrus," which feature the strings and cellos heavily.
0: What about Eleanor Rigby?
1: Yeah, definitely Eleanor Rigby. He was he was he really kind of was a Beatles obsessive. So all the stuff from... I like him. I guess, yes. (laughs) Um, And the Beatles story and connection with Jeff Lynn uh, would actually continue um, after ELO. It's kind of interesting. But yeah, he was influenced by all all the Sgt. Pepperara stuff. So they had this idea for ELO, and ELO's first album came out in 1970, uh, and it was called No Answer. I'm pretty sure it was 70. It was 70 or 71. And originally the idea was actually, and it's kind of crazy, that The Move and ELO were going to coexist together. Like they were going to put out albums under each name, which I have no idea how they would have done that. And they didn't. And I think at a certain point they just said, The Move doesn't exist anymore, now we're ELO. (laughs) Um, And the original lineup was Roy Wood, Jeff Lynn, and Bev Bevan, the drummer. Um, And Jeff wrote half the songs on the first album. Roy wrote half the songs. Um And then three months after that album came out, apparently Roy Wood just left and like, he didn't even tell the band and uh, Jeff Lynn found out one day. It didn't really cause a rift between them, but you know, Jeff Lynn said, yeah, it was weird, but it also gave me a great opportunity because now I was the sole, uh, singer, songwriter, and producer. So from there, and I know I'm talking for a long time, so I'll try and give the abridged version. <laughs> um, but, uh, Jefflin brought in new personnel, um, some string players, um, Richard Tandy, who had gone to become a key component of the band. He played keyboards. Um, and they slowly they had their first hit on the second album with a cover of rollover, Beethoven. And then things like really built from there. They toured a lot, uh, Jefflin's songwriting got better. Um, the his production got sharper and got really distinct. You would hear an ELO song and and it didn't sound like anything else. Um, when on their third album, they actually had what became their first original hit, which was a song called showdown. And John Lennon was actually guest DJing on uh, WNEW, I think in New York. And he played an ELO song, which was like a huge tribute to him. And he, yeah. he dubbed ELO son of son of Beatles. Um, and then, then the hits got massive, and the album sales got massive, and they just became one of the biggest 70s acts. Uh, hits like Evil Woman, uh, Do Ya, Telephone Line, Mr. Blue Sky, Turn to Stone, Rock Aria. Uh, it's re- really incredible. I mean, you might be able to look up the stats there on Wikipedia, but it, something like 16 top 20 hits uh, in, in the span of just a couple of years. Um, so, and then the, the apex was really in 1977, which as a star Wars fan is always meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was something in the water then cause the, the album was called out of the blue and it had a big spaceship on the cover and Crazy. they tore and when, yeah. And when they toured, um, they, they played in a huge spaceship. Um, so, uh, but that album sold something like 5 million copies. So, yeah. And, um, you know the interesting thing about about the band, just in terms of their rise, but also the way people perceived them. Uh, you know, they were they sold tons of records, their songs were hits, but they were never critical darlings. Uh, like Jeff Lynn got slammed for being a Beatles ripoff, uh, and that kind of I think that really stung him in a lot of ways, and it stayed with them for a long time. Um, but it really turned around recently which as a fan was really nice to see um but so that's like half their story but before i continue i've been talking a long time <laughs> um what what did you know about about them when we first started talking and uh
0: not a whole lot like the songs i actually recognized a lot of them i'm obviously a big beatles fan and and really mm-hmm. into that uh time period with music so like i'm mm-hmm. usually listening to like the classic rock station or things like that so i was pretty familiar with a lot of the songs but i found that i didn't really know the titles of them
1: Mm -hmm. um
0: or who they were by
1: (laughs) that's usually the way it goes yeah
0: yeah and then i thought it was interesting too because i'm a doctor who fan um that i recognized um turn to stone are you a doctor who fan
1: I'm not a Doctor Who fan. Have I've just never... Have you ever a...
0: seen that episode since it has a yellow connection? No,
1: I Modern haven't. Monsters. Now I'm going to have to. Okay, um, cool.
0: But yeah. So I I think I had like researched like, what song is that in there? So I think I knew that was yellow. Yeah. Other than that, like a, just general time period. Um, yeah. That's about it. So I thought yeah. of a, another question.
1: Sure. So
0: um, back to the name... Um, electric light orchestra. Does that have any meaning or why did they choose that?
1: You know, it actually does. That's a good question. Yeah. And I don't, re- I don't remember. Um, <laughs> I forget, I forget what the, where it comes from. I feel like it might've been an old TV show reference or something. I know, or some there's kind a of logo company. on
0: here that looks like the general electric logo.
1: Yeah. I feel like it might've had something to do with that, but I, I honestly don't, I'm I don't remember. Oh.
0: Okay. So, <laughs> uh, the band's name is an intended pun not only on electric light as in a light bulb as seen on early album covers, but also using electric rock instruments combined with a light orchestra in quotation mark. And it says in parentheses, orchestras with only a few cellos and violins that were popular in Britain during the 1960s.
1: Interesting. That and sounds, that's sounds like them. That's, that sounds kind of like their humor and the way they'd approach things.
0: <laughs> awesome.
1: Um, yeah, so you said you've done some research, so what are you having, li- listen them a little bit now before we, before we started talking, what do you, what do you think?
0: Like, yeah, I just, I really love that genre, so I like them.
1: Very nice. So, yeah. I approve of your, I'll accept your answer.
0: <laughs> I need to get, like, a greatest <laughs> hits, or maybe you can help me, like, pick out which albums I should get.
1: Sure. <laughs> I think, um, even though Out of the Blue is their biggest, I think they're, finest hour is really um a new world record that's a it's the album that came out right before and there's just something kind of perfect about that album um the songs all have this kind of there are i mean there are a bunch of rock songs on it but they all have this kind of dark hue to them and um his singing is great all the songs are different the sound that he had kind of really created himself which was like this blend of uh, synthesizers and electronics and strings and guitars um, really kind of like that was the the perfect version of it then um, and yeah that to me is just one of the magical albums um, and I feel like you, you could really hear its influence today in bands like Granddaddy um, and like just a kind of across the board um, but they're you know they're they're the, the story of Jeff Lynn and Yellow is kind of goes on from there. Um, yeah, that was going to be my to next question.
0: So, yeah, like, well, because I know just recently they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so that's now. So, like, what what happened in the years in between what you were talking about and 2017?
1: Yeah. So you know, it's um, it's really interesting because. So like I was saying, they they were never critical darlings, and um, you know when I when I first got into Yellow, it was 1995, and I kind of um, got into them. My dad played me an album called On On the Third Day, which you know this has n- never really happened to me before, but literally from like the first note, I stopped what I was doing. Uh, there's the, the opening track kind of comes on with this like booming sound. I'd never heard music like that Um, and then when his voice came in I'd never heard anyone sing like that before and I just loved it from that second Um, and when I started kind of you know taking a deep dive into the band and reading about them I found that like like they got bad reviews and and um, and all this stuff and then when I would you know talk to friends about them nobody knew who they were it was really strange and but I would talk to my dad and he was like yeah they were huge they were a huge band I loved them Like my dad was a my dad was kind of an ELO nerd, and um, and so I couldn't really understand why because to me I just thought it was the music was beautiful and rich and powerful and if they were huge why did nobody know them they didn't get much play on the radio anymore because my parents listened to classic rock stations a lot and so I kind of was like I was so like I loved them so much that you know I. I kind of became so protective of them in a way, and if if I ever read anything bad about them, like um, you know, it would make me mad. I'd be like, "This this guy doesn't know what he's talking about." Um, so, you know, I think a lot of it had to do with the you know, by, when they came out, it was it was not cool to um, to emulate the Beatles in that way. Mm-hmm. Like Oasis, Oasis uh, was much more blatant in how they took from the Beatles than ELO ever was. And not as creative and uh, but then it was okay and it was just a matter of time passing I think wow. um, you know but anyway so ElO kind of wound down as the in the 80s and uh, I think Jeff Lynn kind of lost interest and I think he felt a little confined by it but he um, he started producing other artists and he and George Harrison got in touch with him and said he wanted him to produce. The first album he was going to make in five years and that album turned out to be cloud nine uh which was his big comeback album that had got my mind Set on you on it awesome. and and at that time um jeff lynn started producing and writing songs with tom petty and that stuff became full moon fever and that all spun out into the traveling Oh, nice. Um, yeah so it was he had this amazing kind of rebirth as a producer. Um, he produced tracks for Roy Orbison's last album, Mystery Girl. Uh, you know, and so in the span of just a couple of years, he had the George Harrison album. He had Full Moon Fever, Roy Orbison, the Traveling Wilburys. He put out a solo album. Um, and even throughout, and it's kind of amazing because like even throughout all of this, the critical reception of or perception of him hadn't really changed, even though it's quite kind of a vote of confidence when George Harrison reaches out to you and says, I want you to helm my comeback album, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so, and he produced the Wilberry's albums. And then after that, he kind of went dark again. He, um, in terms of output, um, he, he 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 had still produced a few more people. Uh, he produced the two Beatles reunion singles in the nineties, which was a huge job. Uh, the three Beatles surviving Beatles, got demo tapes of John Lennon, and recorded new songs, and they asked Jeff Lynn to produce them. Um, but as far as his own original music went, he didn't put out anything uh, f- basically from a stretch of 1990, which was his solo album, up until 2001, I want to say, or it might have been 2000, um, when he actually when he got the rights to the ELO name again, and he put out an ELO album. He played all the instruments on it. Um, but it was the first. It was actually the first his first album of original music since his solo album, and the first okay. original, the first original ELO album since 1986. So, uh, you know, I, I was over the moon um, when it came out. But there were, but the album flopped, um, and the tour got canceled. Uh, they never said why, but it was pretty evident that it was low ticket sales. Wow. So. Yeah, it was like not a great time for him. Um, but then a couple years later, and I hope this is interesting to people because <laughs> I <laughs> love talking about it, and I and I know I'm talking a lot, but it's um, all
0: good.
1: It's the whole story. <laughs> so um, maybe we can put out an abridged version of this podcast and unabridged version. <laughs> um, so, but a couple of years later, uh, you know, it was just a matter. I, it's really just funny how, you know, time makes a difference, and honestly, I think new new music critics coming in makes a difference. I think there were a lot of people like me who just loved them despite the critics who suddenly kind of became uh, filmmakers and critics, and then, you know, that helped change the perception. But ELO, anyway, started popping up in a lot of commercials and movie soundtracks, and then all of a sudden, they were kind of cool again. Um, and I, you know, he started getting good reviews and you started to see a lot of people kind of doing reevaluations. And, uh, the biggest thing in terms of what led to this r- new era of activity, um, which would be, t- you know, he's been touring and Jeff Lynn has always hated touring. Um, he's had stage fright and he's a shy person. Um, and he's If you listen to their their albums They're a studio band He really uses the studio as an instrument Um, But he's touring now Put out a new album uh, last year Um, And actually a couple of albums The year before that And then the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing What really led to it was He was on a a radio show in England And I might not get the details of this exact But uh, the radio host is a big fan Steve Evans I think his name is And he said something to Jeff Lynne like you know, what could we get you to play play a show like like if we asked people to tweet that they'd come see you, how many people would it take? And Jeff Lynn said something like, Oh, I don't know, two thousand and they got like they got like ten thousand tweets in three minutes or something. No. So then he was like Were you one of a, them? I I wasn't, but <laughs> I because I heard about this after, but uh. I would have and um so he it was like a charity thing, so he had to do it. And <laughs> and uh, he so I think this was actually he came out and did two songs, and then that led to him doing a full show at Wembley Stadium, um, in England, and I think it was Wembley, um, and that was like a huge, huge success. And then from there, he was like he was inspired to do the new album, and then I just think it was all this momentum of all this stuff happening: this movie soundtracks, the show, uh, putting out a new album. That then, you know, uh, he finally got in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year and uh so long story short i would say it's i'm i'm really glad to see that he actually like you know he's still around to get this recognition because i think it's long overdue yeah um and i think that like i said before i think he was always kind of hurt by the criticism because i think he did do a lot of innovative original things i know that's Uh,
0: gonna be hard yeah spotlight like that and, and the criticism yeah
1: yeah, I mean, you know that's the thing about about criticism. I mean, you want to be honest. Uh, yeah. You should always you should always be honest. Um, you know, but there, I think there are always kind of other factors at play. Like, you know, um, there's like a cool factor when it comes to rock music. Mm-hmm. There's there's the what else is happening at the time. Like, while ELO is happening, punk rock was happening, and that's they're completely different styles of music. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all about what. You know, if, if you're not somebody's taste or if you're not the taste of the time for people who are, who are consider themselves critics, like that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah, so now it's like it's just a great time for the band uh, and it's been exciting. So that's kind of the whole story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Very cool. So yeah. have you actually seen them live?
1: So I saw them um, actually in 2000. When they, when they, when he put out that album and was going to tour Mm -hmm. and it got canceled, they did a couple of warm up shows and one of them was an episode of VH1 Storytellers. Mm. Um, and so I was interning at Spin, uh, Spin Magazine's website at the time and I was also in the ELO fan club, which I still am, (laughs) and uh, so. To, I wanted to go so bad because the, they were taping in New York and I went to NYU my, and my dorm was in the city so it would be very easy for me to go. Mm-hmm. So I, the fan club ran a contest which was uh, write an essay about why you deserve to go. And so I, I did that. I entered and then I also asked my boss at Spin. I was like, can you get me on the list to go and I'll review the show for the website. So I don't know what how I got in but I know my boss made a phone call and she was just like you're. On, and then when she got off the phone, she was like, "You're on the list."
0: Nice. So I don't know.
1: I don't know which worked, but either way, I got to go, and uh, that was that was amazing. The energy in that in that room, and it was very small. I think it might have seated only like two hundred people. Um, so I would. I was so close to the band. Um, the the energy was unlike any other concert I've ever been to. I mean, you could it was something that it's really hard to articulate the feeling in the room because he had not played live in at that point, like 14 years, you know, which, which, you know, was a really long time. Um, so just to see him doing, you know, out in public was like a, like a shocking thing. And here he is playing all like these, you know, this, like this incredible legacy of songs. Um, that was really special. And I, after I did get his autograph and I had my box set with me and I kind of like pushed my way to the, like the front of the crowd. And I was just like, I didn't want to say anything stupid. I didn't want to have to like have my memory with him regretting saying something. So I was just like, would you sign my box set? And he, and I was by far the youngest person there. Like ELO has a lot of young fans now, but then it was like, it was, you know, not, (laughs) I was, I was a special case. And, uh, so he gave me this kind of smile, like a half smile, like, what are you doing here, type thing. <laughs> and uh, he handed it back, and I was just like, thank you very much. Um, that was it. And then I got to see them. Um, I saw them on this new tour. I saw them at Radio City with my parents, which was uh, which was really kind of special, because they introduced me to the band. Oh, and nice. then I went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. Sweet.
0: So So what was that like?
1: Um, that was cool. It was... I mean, it was also nice because you know, like Pearl Jam was inducted, and their band that I love, nice. uh, and all everybody played. Joan Baez was inducted. Oh, um, I love Joan oh,
0: Baez.
1: Yeah, she was fantastic. Um, she had a lot to say. It was it was great to hear. Alicia Keys played. She played. Uh, she covered Tupac, um, who was inducted. Wow. Uh, so there were. It was that was a great night. Um, you know they. They, every band only plays three songs, and uh, I was hoping that the because the the, induct, the inductees who were brought into the hall were Jeff Lynn, Roy Wood, from the, and Bev Bevan Bev from the original lineup, mm-hmm. and Richard Tandy, who joined like an album later. And I thought, I was hoping we were gonna get to see them all play together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Especially I wanted to see Jeff, Lynn, and Bev Bevan play because Bevin's a great drummer. And they had a real falling out uh, when ELO split up. Mm. So, and in fact, I don't know if they they'd seen each other in thirty years. So, um, so, but that didn't happen. Um, Bev Bevan couldn't make it. Roy Wood was there, but he didn't play. And uh, Richard Tandy, who actually does play in the touring band now, was sick or something. So, it was really just like Jeff Lynne with his own backing band, and it was cool. They opened with a uh, cover of Roll Over Beethoven in tribute to Chuck Berry, who just died. Oh, nice. And uh, it was actually pretty awesome because the editor, Jan Wenner, the founder of Rolling Stone, came out and gave some opening remarks. And then all of a sudden, like, the curtain pulled back, and there's a huge image of Chuck Berry, and ELO is there. <laughs> and they just went into their cover of Roll Over Beethoven. It was, like, a really cool moment. Oh, um, yeah. So they played that. They played Evil Woman. They played Mr. Blue Sky. Cool. Uh, which were, you know, it's hard to argue with that. Yeah. So... Yeah, that was cool.
0: That's amazing. So cool.
1: Yeah. So it's you know it's it's funny because they were never considered like rock star like like crazy rock stars like they didn't trash hotel rooms yeah. but I always find the their story is really interesting. That yeah, um, that's
0: so fascinating. <laughs> yeah. It's like f- oh, yeah. the fickle road of fame.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's really that story, and it's uh, actually. Um, I haven't seen it yet, but apparently Mr. Blue Sky is featured prominently in Guardians of the Guardians of the Galaxy Two. Oh, nice! Yeah, I read an interview with um, James Gunn, the director, and he was talking about how if if the Guardians, he said the quote was, "If the Guardians had a house band, it would be ELO." <laughs> and uh, he said that he had an ELO song in the first movie, but they had to cut it. Aww. So, so he wanted to get one in this movie, and that he had to personally um, appeal to Jeff Lynn because he had to, I guess he had to kind of explain like why they cut his song out of the first movie after they asked for it. <laughs>
0: Awkward. <laughs>
1: but yeah, but uh, thankfully he said yes. So apparently okay. it's in the movie.
0: Yeah. So do you think that their popularity is going to soar even higher?
1: You know, I don't know. It's, the landscape is so different. It's like nobody buys albums anymore. Yeah,
0: it's
1: true. I think that, you know, I think that the uh, it, it, what his 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 modern music, the stuff that he's still doing, is still so good. Like he's still a great producer. Um He's never lost that. His stuff still sounds like ELO, but it sounds like ELO today. You know, he's always evolved his sound. And I could see his new songs getting into movies and getting into commercials. And um, however you feel about that, that's kind of the way people get, one way people get exposed to music now, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: It's true.
1: And so I definitely think there's a future there. Um, And I'll keep buying his stuff as long as it comes out. (laughs) So he doesn't have to worry about that. (laughs) Um, But yeah, you know, I just think, like, now the legacy is kind of there, and the respect for them is there. So I think, um, you know, whatever we get from here on out, because he's, he's approaching 70, um, you know, is just kind of like a nice bonus. I, I always find myself really kind of looking up to the lifers. Like, I have tons of respect for Jeff Lynn and Paul McCartney mm-hmm. and Bob Dylan and, like, um, just the, the guys that, you know, they've – whatever inspired them when they were young is still there, you know? Yeah. And, um, I find that inspiring. Cause like, that's true as a, as a writer, you know, um, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's nice to see that as you get older, like you can just like keep on pushing. Yeah. You know,
0: channel like whatever it is that makes you inspired.
1: Yeah. So, you know, um, it's just, uh, yeah, it's cool to see. It's cool to see that all these guys are still going.
0: Have you seen uh, Paul McCartney live?
1: Yeah. Um, Amazing,
0: right?
1: So great. Ah. It's um, I mean, he plays for three hours. I
0: know, it's insane. You know,
1: and he's playing, he's like jumping from piano to bass it's to guitar. Su- like
0: Such high energy.
1: I know. Like, <laughs> I look at him and like, I'm like on the couch. I know. <laughs> like, splayed on the couch, lazy. And he's, and I'm watching this like, dude in his 70s playing marathon <laughs> concerts and like god yeah. i guess i have to become a vegetarian or something that's got to be what it is <laughs> right yeah
0: yeah I, saw, I got to see ringo last year too so that oh was cool. cool how was yeah. that it was good it was um a really small venue so and it was like one with a rotating stage so mm-hmm. it was pretty cool nice. i had like pretty decent seats so it was pretty awesome
1: was this uh, this was ringo and his all-star band yes was anyone notable in the band Do you remember
0: and i I don't remember any of the names Mm. i know i've seen some past
1: yeah yeah no he usually he usually gets some good people to play with him
0: yeah yeah it wasn't like anyone like that i recognize though but Mm. yeah very cool all right so do you have any final thoughts on ELO?
1: oh so many i feel like (laughs) i've talked so much though
0: (laughs) no it's been awesome
1: um do I have any final thoughts on ELO? <laughs> I would. Uh, I guess if people are listening to this and they they want specifics to check out, mm-hmm. because I think that while ELO had had a bunch of hit singles, I actually consider them more of an album band, and I think that uh, their albums are much more rewarding than listening to like a greatest hits. Gotcha. Um, so, you know, and they evolved. You know, much like. The Beatles, no ELO album is the same as the next one, mm-hmm. and I would say um, check out an al- album called El Dorado, which mm-hmm. uh, he recorded with a thirty-piece orchestra, Whoa. and the songs are just like gorgeous, and uh, it's kind of a kind of a concept album, but um, there's just some beautiful stuff on there, and then. I, he went on like a great run, Eldorado to face the music which had evil woman on it um, and strange magic. But their production got scaled back and he brought in female singers and started bringing in more kind of electronic sounds. Um, and that has my favorite Elo song ever, and probably my favorite Jeff Lynn song ever, which is a song called Waterfall, mm-hmm. which um is a really beautiful song and production wise, it just kind of I don't know how he did it because he layers the voices in a certain way and the way he blends the strings with the guitars is really kind of amazing. Um, and then from there, there's a new world record and out of the blue, which I talked about. And I feel like if you want a good introduction to ELO, those four albums are like a really great place to start. Cool. Um, and then, you know, for his solo stuff, which is like a whole other career in and of itself um, th- the first Wilbury's album volume one is great. It's just a great collection of, you know.
0: Wilberries are awesome.
1: They're so good, and I'm not just saying this because I love his music. <laughs> but um, there's a there's a pretty new documentary about Jeff Lynne and uh, Tom Petty's in it. It's called Mr. Blue Sky, and uh, Tom Petty says when talking about the woolberries that he says you know he feels like Jeff Lynne always gets kind of overlooked, but he says the Woolberries would not have been possible without him, and I think if you if you listen, if you know how Jeff Lynne makes albums and, and writes songs, and then you listen to those Wilbury's albums, you'll hear just how big a part he was, even though he's not out front singing all the songs. Um, but the first Wilbury's album is great, and his uh, and obviously Full Moon Fever is fantastic. Um, I really love his solo album, Armchair Theater which he did in 1990 and surprisingly you know it came out when all the Wilbury stuff was popular but uh, it didn't do well but I love that album because he was he made it clearly not just wanting to make it for himself like he did not write it with like uh, a hit single in mind um, even though there's catchy stuff on there and so it was the first album he did where three of the songs were covers they were dedications to his parents who had just passed away Um, and the other stuff he did was really interesting. He has like uh, Indian singers on one song. Um, then there's like a really there's like pop songs on it, and I just love that album. And then I guess um, he produced. He finished George Harrison's last album after George died with uh, with George's son, and that's a great collection of songs. And he did a great job. He didn't overpower it with his production sound. Um, I thought he was really kind of respectful of what George wanted. Um, and again, that's another album where, you know, George wrote all the songs and it's not like he was writing a, a song that he was thinking like, I have to get this in the charts. It's mm-hmm. just a collection of really personal stuff. And, uh, I thought Jeff Lynn and, uh, Danny Harrison, uh, did a great job finishing it up. So I feel like those are great places to kind of get a sense of this guy's entire career.
0: Very cool. Yeah. Awesome. All so right. give them a
1: chance. Give ELO a chance is all we're saying.
0: Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> is there any lo- any songs you'd like to sing before you go?
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. You don't want to- I might want to, but you don't want me to sing them. <laughs> I'm
0: just kidding. Um, yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Um, before you go, why don't you tell everyone how they can find you online and all that good stuff?
1: Sure. Um, well, first of all, I'll say thank you for listening to me blather on about this. Um, I rarely do I uh, get a, a a forum to do that, so I'm glad to spread the gospel. Um, so yeah, um, I'm the senior writer editor of StarWars.com, and you can um, you can find stuff that I write there and stuff that um, all of our great writers write there. Um, we update daily. Uh, I'm also the co-host of a podcast called It Came From the Depths of Netflix, where um, we watch the worst uh, movies that are available on Netflix. Occasionally, occasionally we get surprised, and we actually stumble upon something that we like, but um, it's a bad movie podcast, yes. and we have fun. And um, I'm on Twitter at Dan underscore Brooks.
0: Awesome. I just thought of a question I forgot to ask you too. Oh, sure. do you have a link to your review of the ELO show you went to? I don't know if it still exists. I know. Is it's that, is that website still up?
1: I mean, that was in the days of dial up. I know, right? <laughs> um,
0: like AOL, <laughs> an AOL yeah. website or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. A GeoCities website. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, it might still be out there somewhere. I'd have to do a search for it, but yeah, so- um, Otherwise I don't know. Well let us it's know if you find it. It's printed out in a folder somewhere. I can I know that.
0: Oh, there you go. Sweet. So. Very cool. Well, thanks again for chatting and I'll definitely look into some of those albums and give you my feedback.
1: I would love to hear it.
0: Very cool. All right.
1: Awesome.
0: Well, have a good one. Well, thank
1: you. thank you, Kate.
0: Thanks for coming. Okay, bye bye. All right. So thanks again, Dan. It was awesome talking about ELO and learning all about their fascinating history so come on back to the show anytime and just a quick update i did see guardians of the galaxy volume 2 since we recorded and that opening with mr blue sky and baby groot dancing was amazing so if you haven't seen that go see guardians of the galaxy 2 i really enjoyed the whole movie actually too oh and dan i thought of another question so in Don't Bring Me Down, I always thought he was saying, Don't bring me down, Bruce. But when I looked it up, it was actually Groose. Um, maybe you can tell us the story behind that or something. <laughs> anyway. So I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. If this is your first episode, why not go back and listen to some of the previous episodes. You can hear them all at NerdaParadise.net or you can get them on iTunes or Google Play. And if you ever have any thoughts or comments or questions, you can send an email to hello at nerdofparadise.net or say hey on Twitter. On Twitter, we are at N of Peapod. So I am gearing up to go to Phoenix Comic Con next weekend, so you guys can stay tuned for some awesome content from there. I think that's about it. So as always, thanks so much for listening.